0: Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm very happy to be here today, and I'm really happy. I've got four generations of support here, which is really exciting. I've got my mom and dad, Peter and Trish Warby, my wonderful wife, Tracy. I've got Mackenzie, Samuel, Casey, and Nate, my son-in-law, and then my granddaughter, Charlotte. So that's really exciting. So when I share the word, I want to hear from God. I want to know, what does he want to say to you today? Like, I've got, I've got stories. I, I can talk. I could get up here and say stuff. But what matters to me is, what does he want to relate to you? To know that, I need to hear from God. Well, that's where I can get a little bit nervous. Am I hearing God? Is this his idea, or is this my idea? Sometimes there's overlap. For that matter, how do you know if God is directing you? How do you know if what you hear is God's will or not? Is it even okay to ask like, shouldn't we just, aren't we just supposed to know? And that's something we're going to look at today. So, the title of my sermon today is How Do You Know If God Is Leading You? And we're going to look at a few different things. I'm going to share some personal stories from my own life. And then we're also going to look at some biblical examples because, well, they're there for a purpose. So, how we hear God can be strongly affected by what we believe in our life experience. Do you believe in a loving God of second chances? Or a God who's looking to judge all who dare question him. If you make a mistake, are you going to be damned? And so that's important things to look at. So I'm going to illustrate this in a strange way, so you're going to have to go along for a little bit. I'm going to use the song Awesome God, but I wrote a second chorus. So I just advise you don't bother singing along. (laughs) Because it's going to take a turn. Okay, so it goes like this, the part you know. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a wrathful God. He reigns fire on your head. If you don't do what he says, our God might smite you dead. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not so making the point which do you identify with unfortunately there are whole congregations that would identify much more with the kaboom you're dead if you got it wrong god that's not our god like yes there's biblical backing for that but that's not where we live that's not our everyday god okay and so we need to get that out of our heads there's room so please forgive my parody i didn't there's no tomatoes heading my way thankfully you you weren't given any so that's really good (laughs) as a young person, for whatever reason, I more so believed in that judgmental, wrathful God. I don't know why. Life experience, I mean, I was raised in a good home. In fact, I believed some of the really bad accidents I had were actually God judging me and hurting me on purpose. And it, it just wasn't true, but it took me decades to figure that one out. So, sometimes we hear God fine, but then we interpret it incorrectly great example of this is uh, Hebrews 12, 6. And we use the New American Standard on purpose. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. So some people cringe at that scripture. It sounds abusive to some, especially that word punish. It sounds harsh. But it's all about how do I interpret that? Is it a word of being beaten and left alone? Or is it about correction in relationship? With an understanding God who is there with you the entire time, a God who is with you in the correction. He's not against you, with you. And if you look at Hebrews 12 in context, I'd encourage you to read it. We know that God's saying this actually proves you are a legitimate child. So loving parents, discipline children. Parents know that discipline will set the course for your life. It can help you to avoid a lot of pitfalls. The closer you get to God, the easier it is to hear His voice and understand what he means by it. So it's not just what he says, it's how is he saying it. So uh Romans 12:2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. If you aren't sure, you can ask. It says test and approve and we're going to get into more of that later. If I had to sum this all up in just one phrase, and I'll just make it my first point, following God's leading is about your ongoing relationship, trust, and obedience with God. Notice I said with, not to. Okay, so it's not that God said something, now I'm all alone doing it. No, it's with God. And sometimes the with God doesn't happen because of us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful platform of your presence here, Lord Jesus. Your anointing is here. I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to hear your word today and to understand you in a deeper way, God. Okay, so let's get into a story about me. At age 20, I was living in Yorkton, so was my, at the time, fiancee Tracy, and we were getting ready to get married. Everything was, things had been booked, things were in the works. And then both of us had to quit our jobs due to health reasons. I was a baker who was allergic to fine flour. It doesn't really work. I didn't know that at the time. So it got so bad, I was wearing a doctor's mask all the time, wearing doctor's gloves all the time because I was bleeding. If I had a slight scratch, I would bleed. Also, I didn't handle the shift work very well. I would sometimes have a period of three days where I could not sleep and my body would not tell me to eat. I just, it was just chaos for me. My wife was looking after a girl who had severe cerebral palsy who needed a lot of physiotherapy, so stretching and lots of physical assistance. Then she was helping a friend into a wheelchair one day, picking up this adult friend, slipped, fell, blew her back out. And suddenly we're both out. And I'm supposed to be getting married, and so I'm feeling the pressure, I need a job, and I'm trying to find work, and I can't find it. Nothing opens up, and the heavens seem shut. God's saying, nothing, I feel nothing. This goes on for four weeks. I'm seeking, and it just feels like nothing coming back. And then I remember very clearly, I was in the front row of of my church, and I was on my hands and knees, and I felt a physical hand come and touch my head. So I open my eyes, and there's nobody near me. I close my eyes again, and there's a pair of sandals in front of me, with feet in them, not just sandals, because that's (laughs) kind of weird. And God says, your future is in Saskatoon. And that's it. And that's the only time in my life I had a physical touch from God. It was very, it went right into me. So I shared this with my very soon-to-be wife, and we, she agreed. So we started making plans to just, we're moving to Saskatoon as soon as we're married. We had no money. We had debt. By the end of our wedding day, we had enough to cover the debt and 3000 left over. So that's great. And uh, we found a nice suite in Saskatoon in the home of a Christian couple, Went on our honeymoon, and last day of our honeymoon, I broke out in chicken pox. And chicken pox at the age of 20, it's not fun. Between my fingers, between my toes, in my ears. And I'm like, God, I need a job. And it's like, well, obviously, I need to rest a little bit longer. I, I knew nothing about burnout. I was, like, really far along. Like, I was only 145 pounds when I got married. I was, had a 28-inch waist. I was in bad shape, actually. <laughs> So, I said to God, okay, God, I'll do any job you want, but I'm not going to do retail because I don't really want to talk in front of people. I'd rather be in the background, so I don't want to do that. Okay, so I got a job doing silk screen printing, so doing like t-shirts, and when you're doing that, there's an oven that's eight feet long, 350 degrees, another oven right here, 350 degrees, drying ink quick, and I'm covered in lacquer thinner all day. And if you don't know lacquer thinner, it's worse than paint thinner. It's bad. No one told me how dangerous that was. No ventilation. So three months into this, I broke out in hives all over my body. And I needed a new job. So I went back to God, and I said, okay, I'm willing to do retail. (laughs) And about three days later, I started my job in retail. (laughs) And what's interesting is, I could have saved myself a lot of hassle and my my future employer, because he was in desperate need of me, and I didn't know that. He had gone through a horrible situation. He was a good God-fearing man, and so it was not an easy job. It was an army surplus store, and it's not like you just need to know what's on the shelf. You pretty well need to know 40, 50 years of history, and all the different clothing, and where all this came from, and Someone comes in and rattles off a bunch of military jargon. You're supposed to know what they mean, or you're an idiot. So I I felt like an idiot a lot of the time. Like, it was the exact antithesis of what I wanted. It's why I didn't want retail. However, uh, my skills came into play. So the place was really unorganized, and I just organized everything. Hardly anything had a size, because we've got stuff from Germany, Belgium, UK, all over the world, and there's weird writing. But there was weird codes on everything, and I eventually cracked this code, and everything was much more organized. In five, sorry, in two and a half months, my boss gave me five raises. And it was so funny, because one time, so he was coming and giving me my, my paycheck, and he was angry. And he, he's handed it to me, he said, I gave you a raise two weeks ago, but God said I didn't give you enough, so he made me backdate this. And I said, sorry? Like, <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. So I was made assistant manager, and five months after starting, he asked me to move to Edmonton and run a store there by myself, just soul running the store, so he really trusted me. So that was interesting, and we tried to do what we always did, get plugged into the church, get on the worship teams, get connected. All of it fell flat. Like, ever have that experience where you're talking to someone and you say something and the words go like this? That happened with every single person. And I went to God and said, what's going on? He said, you're here to learn how to be alone with your wife. And until you learn that, you're here. Okay, well, it was very expensive to live there. I didn't know that. If you're a male living in Alberta and you're under the age of like 25, it's expensive to drive a car. So anyway, as soon as I could get out of there, I did. And God opened the door for me to get back to Saskatoon. My boss needed me. He had a huge new store and it was really disorganized and i started working 51 and a half hours a week because i needed the overtime so i'm working 6 days a week 11 and a half hours on thursdays eventually my boss pulled me into the office and said you've got a wife and two kids at home this isn't good i'm putting you on salary you're only allowed to work 5 days a week well that's kind of a surprise oh and by the way here's a health plan so it was just god provided right then so i organized the whole store suddenly army surplus becomes trendy And a huge amount of people are coming in the store. There were days that I just sat there like this, never looking up, because I was ringing things through. So God really prospered the company, following God worked out. So now let's go to a different story. Still in Saskatoon. My wife and I are at a church one night. Not our church. We are at a special meeting. I was walking through the lobby, and a man comes up and says he has a word for me. Okay, that sounds great. He says I'm supposed to have a ministry with young people, with youth. And I thought, well, that's strange. I've never felt anything in that direction. But he says this was a word from God, so it must be right. Maybe. <laughs> and there was a few more directions that I really I don't remember because, well, more on that. <laughs> we were feeling drawn to Yorkton at the time. So I started pursuing this. And we went to Yorkton. There was a, this church that we had long been associated with, the same church that I felt God put his hand on me. There was a young lady there who worked in a, uh, like a young offender's facility. And she said, you know, they really need more Christians out there, and they're hiring, so go apply. And I went and applied, and interview went great. I thought it was wonderful. The job's mine. No, it wasn't, but I didn't know that. In my head, I was just convinced this is God's will. So I go back to Saskatoon, and I say, we give notice at where we live. And I go to my boss, and I say, I'm giving notice. I'm leaving in two weeks. My boss looks at me funny and says, no, I don't accept your notice. He actually says, if you want to, you can quit with one day's notice. And I went, well, okay, very nice of you. I should have paid more attention to that. Like, who says that? I was a pivotal person, and he's saying, if you want to leave, like basically, if you want to leave today, tell me today. Well, I didn't pay attention, and I, I, I kept pushing this, and I get the phone call, it all fell apart. And there were consequences to that. We were in a really low-rent situation that was transitioning we had to move and pay higher rent right away. My boss was, you know, so generous. He just said, don't worry about it. So what went wrong? And I, that's, it t- took me decades to go sort through that. So you're getting the, the, post, the, the hindsight version of this. I didn't seek God out myself. It's a word, but I didn't seek God myself. I didn't find out if the guy who gave the word had any credibility at all. I later found out he did not. He went around from special meeting to special meeting doing this all over the place. He had no accountability. He had no credibility. He hopped from church to church, causing trouble wherever he went. So I should have sought that out. At the end of the day, it's your decision whether you go with a word or not. So if I'm not always sure now, I just ask God. I seek him, and we're going to get more into that. I'm not being disobedient by asking God, Did you say that? I'm actually doing my best to honor him and seek him out. God likes being pursued. He likes us spending time and making sure that we've got it right. So Luke 11, verses 9 to 10. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jeremiah 29 verse 13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Well, that's not a might. That's a, you will. This is not, that sounds pretty good. When you seek God because you want to know him and his ways, you will find him. So my second point, which I've already stated, it's your life. You are accountable for it. I don't mean that as a big heavy. I just mean it just is. That's just the truth. If I give someone a word, so I've given there's a time I gave Mandy a word. I have no problem with her going before God to say, Can you clarify this? Because I don't want her to obey me, I want her to obey God. So that, and you know, just to back this up a little bit more, Acts 17, uh, verses 11 and 12, it's uh, now they were in Bere- the the Berean, start over. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Well, obviously, God had no problem with these guys questioning Paul and Silas' preaching because they got saved. If God had a problem, there's no way he's letting these guys get saved. It's all about the spirit you're doing the questioning in. Are you trying to get closer to God, or are you looking for a way out of a deeper and more committed relationship? And that's that's between you and God. It always comes down to the heart. Now, just getting back to getting words, let's look at Matthew 7, 15 to 18. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. I might have mixed that up. I think you got the gist of it. (laughs) Well, how do you see if someone has fruit or not when you've just met them? Like, that's that's not that easy. So right away, that tells me there's room here. There's room. There's time. It's not, boom, do it. So, what do you do? You you ask around, is this person reputable? Do their words come to pass? Do they serve the body? Are they accountable and submitted? Now, I'm going to use an example of Diane Harrison of Harvest City. We brought her into King's Corner before here to preach, just to teach and preach. And she's a woman of God, and her words have come to pass. Her prophecies over my wife and I in the past We're confirming and encouraging, and we're very accurate. She spoke things nobody could have ever guessed because the parties involved weren't even in my life. So it's like she prophesied my adoption, which, now, she didn't use those words, but you look back on it, and it's like, oh, you've had lines of family blessing in the past. You will have new lines of family blessing in the future. How do you get new lines of family blessing when you're already married? Like, there's no more lines left. I I, I won't go into all that because that's a a whole other story. So if Diane gives me a word, I take it to heart. It doesn't mean I'm going to go, boom, instantly obey it, but she's got a track record. It's like in the Bible with certain old-time prophets. If certain guys gave you a word, okay, God's saying, literally, I'm talking, so you, you really need to obey this. And if a person got punished for not obeying, they absolutely knew in their heart there's no question in my mind. They knew what they were supposed to do. Like Jonah knew, right? There's no question. Now, there's many books written on this topic. Diane Harrison's written some herself. You can find out a lot more if you want to. Ultimately, it's your decision, and God expects that. So for me, in my misstep, I was naive. I thought everyone who says, God says, meant it. Well, they don't. Not everyone treats the word of the Lord with the same respect and reverence as I do, or maybe as you do. Ultimately, I'm to blame, and I own it. It's, it's, it was my mistake, and God made it work out, right? Like, I'm, I'm here. Obviously, it worked out. I was the one who didn't seek out the word. So, years later, my boss was looking for someone to move here to start a store, and I called my wife, and she said, yes, I've got peace about that. And this was quite different. I had a job, no problem finding a place to live, but I had work, and God was in that. And the people around me said, yes. Even people in my church there, they said, you know, we bear witness with this. We don't want to see you go, but this, we bear witness with this. And, I mean, that just, that totally changed things. Now, what I forgot, I forgot that I swore I would never live in Regina again. See, I lived here for three years in the 80s, and they were bad years. I got hurt badly. Like, a lot of things went wrong here. So I swore in my heart I'll never live here again. Totally forgot about it. God just completely took that from my mind. God decided it was time to face those hurts. And it's very interesting. Not just face them. It was time to get victory over them in the very place they happened and to see my destiny launched. So he did that right in the place where some of the greatest darkness happened. That's where the victory was fought and won through. God put me on a path of healing, deliverance, and character development that produced a lot of fruit, changed my life and the lives of my family. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The mind of a person plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Wonderful promises. Point three. It won't always be perfect. It can get messy, but stay the course. So let's transition here to Moses. God told Moses he he wants his people to go. And God also told Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay, I'm sure Moses had no clue how bad this was going to get. So... We go to Exodus 5, verses 6 to 8. This is just after Moses did his first, let my people go. And we read, so the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and the foremen, saying, you're no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Have them go and gather gather straw for themselves. But you shall impose on them a quota of bricks, which they were making before. So same workload, more work. You're not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Okay, well, how's this going to go back onto Moses? Well, Exodus 5 verse 21, the Israelite overseers say, may the Lord look upon you and judge you because you have made us repulsive in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hands to kill us. Okay, well, I guess I missed God's timing. I'm just going to leave now. Exit stage right. No, Moses did not do that. At this point, Moses was fully committed. We don't see any, there's no documentation of wavering. This was either going to be wonderfully successful or a horrible failure. There was no middle ground for Moses anymore. So now the story has its ups and downs, and in the end, we know God chose himself strong. Moses didn't know how it was going to work out, he just knew that God told him it would. And he got to the point where that was okay. But how do you get there? And that's the important thing. Sometimes we see these stories, we go, that's them. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. you got to remember here that the Moses of the Bible isn't the one we see in almost every single movie or TV show. It's just not represented very well. Let's look at it. It's some of it's kind of funny to me. Exodus chapter 4, so I'm going to read a few chunks here. Uh, verse 10. Moses pleaded with the Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I am not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. This is at the burning bush, okay? Verses 11 to 12. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Okay, Done deal, right? God's with you, so you should now go. Don't push this anymore. He's already mad. Eh? But Moses says, uh, he questions him again. And uh, verse 14 to 16, Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do and what to say. So Aaron was actually doing all the talking. Uh, it says later there that God was that Moses was to act as God to Aaron. Aaron was his prophet. So this is interesting. Like this is this is Almighty, All Powerful Old Testament God. If you want to go there, some people believe the Old Testament God was always always hitting people with lightning. No. Same God, always the same God, all right? So, point four, it is okay to question God if you're questioning from the correct heart. Now, let's. I want to take a look at, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into Gideon. That's what the uh, Lord really drew me there. So, I'm going to set the stage here. Judges 6, Israel had sinned, and... God handed them over to Midian and had been handed over for seven years. And it wasn't just Midian. I mean, this is bad. It's Midian, the Amalekites, and all the people of the east had joined forces against Israel. They were constantly raiding them whenever it was harvest time of their harvest and of their animals, and they just could have nothing. They couldn't have anything without this horde coming down and taking it all. I was trying to find out how many, how big was this horde, There's no number of it. It just says innumerable. It says both the people and the camels were innumerable. Okay, well, if God chooses to say the word innumerable, I'm guessing it's a lot. (laughs) So Judges 6, verse 12, this is where the angel of the Lord is encountering Gideon. And uh, Gideon is actually in a wine press threshing out wheat. Why would you do that? Because he's trying to hide it from these guys. He doesn't want them to get it again. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I love verse 13. Pardon me? That's actually how it starts. (laughs) He's like, what? Are you even serious? Are we having this conversation? All right, then. So we'll go to the rest of verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So he's not even sure that this is God because he's saying, the Lord, not you. Okay? So now I think that could be any one of us. If we're in a horrible situation, that's, that's reasonable to say that. I'd be kind of scared to say it, but I, I know the whole story here, right? So here's the thing. God was fine with it. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Next verse. Pardon me? <laughs> but we'll do, okay, we'll do the rest of the verse. But it's, it, how fitting is this? It's just like any one of us. And what's this strength he's speaking of? Gideon sounds mad and, and maybe even confused. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Okay, so this could be just like any one of us. It sounds like he's looking for a way out. I don't think it is. I think it just sounds too crazy to him. Like, is this even God saying this? It just doesn't make sense. And he says the things like that we could say, I'm too weak. I'm not qualified. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay, now those are pretty bold words. And obviously getting, starting, starting to think, maybe there's something to this guy. Maybe this, this might be God. Just maybe. Verses 17 to 18. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring an offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait till you return. Okay, well that's interesting to me. Gideon is asking to do a test. And a lot of us would think, well, wait a second, it says, do not test the Lord your God. Ah, but what's the heart? Okay, it's always about the heart. So Gideon prepares some stuff the best way he knows how. And really, this is like Romans 12 too, to test to prove of what God's will is. This is a a visual of that. God has no problem with this. Verse 20, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth, and Gideon did so. Now, that's very interesting. Sometimes we're worried. Like, I might get this wrong. What's the right way to do this? Well, no problem. God gave him directions. Like, we worry about some things that we could just ask God if we don't know, and he's going to tell us. Now, verse 21, this gets wild to me. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared up from the rock, consumed the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Wow, that's a cool trick. That's like a total showstopper right there. So verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now he thinks he's going to die. No, it's, he's just like us. His perception of God is obviously I'm a dead man. Why would God do all this just to kill you? That, that, that's not happening. And God goes and explains to him, no, I'm not going to kill you. So, now I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. God directs Gideon to tear down his father's altar to Baal. Because Baal worship, that's why this happened. They started getting into Baal worship again. Now, Baal's a big deal, okay? So, God gives Gideon very specific directions. You can read them for yourself. He's speaking to Gideon in a way that Gideon understands, So Gideon does this at night. God doesn't say when he has to do it. Gideon does it that very night, but he does it kind of in secret. Well, the next day, people see what happened, and they figure out really quickly, Gideon did this. So they demand that his dad, Joash, bring out Gideon as he must die for what he has done. I love Joash's reply. I love this as a son, and I love this as a dad. Verse 31, and this is Joash. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. That's pretty powerful. Well, well, that was that. They changed Gideon's name. They called him Jerub Baal, which means let Baal contend with him. All of this matters. Okay, follow along we started with a really small step of obedience. Now he got bold enough to tear down a pagan altar, which is a, you got to understand the system of Baal, this is both a religious system and a political system. If you wanted to be someone, you get, you get in line with the system, you do your sacrifices, now you're going to get promoted in life. You oppose this, you're done. So this, this is a big deal. So people are starting to take notice. Now, All the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern people joined forces, crossed over to the Jordan, and they're in the valley again. The Spirit of the Lord, in verse 34, so the Spirit of the Lord covered Gideon like clothing. That's really interesting. That's in the New American Standard Version. Some say that he clothed Gideon, but I like how it phrases that. It covered Gideon like clothing. And I I, I thought on that a little bit. Feeling adequately equipped goes a really long way. So, Saskatchewan, middle of winter, you don't go out there in a bathing suit, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. Now, nor do you show up in a bathing suit to your wedding, although I have heard of a suit and tie wedding before, but we'll avoid that detour. You don't go deep-sea diving without a proper wetsuit, oxygen tank, training, all of that stuff. When you are covered for the job, you have confidence. So, God's equipped him, and now God's equipping him further. So God covered Gideon in a way that Gideon felt equipped. He blew the trumpet, and 32,000 people gathered to him. Now, 32,000 is very small against a number that's just called innumerable. I don't know what that means. Now, verses, uh, there's the two famous fleece tests, which this is what took me to the Scripture in the first place, and God just unpacked a whole lot more. And if you're not familiar with it, we'll do the quick version. Gideon asked God if he can do a test. And you might say, well, you've already done so many tests. Why are you doing more? Well, now he's responsible for 32,000 lives. This is a big deal at this point. Test one, he lays the fleece down, says, let the ground be dry, the fleece be wet. It happened. Okay, well, can I do one more test, God? Okay, next night, let's do the opposite. I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. And it was. God's okay with all of this. Obviously, it's Gideon's heart. So in his heart... He's ready to go for it. If this is really God, he's not looking for a way out. He's looking to make sure this is going to work for my household. This is going to work for these people. So Judges 7 verse 2, to me, this gets really interesting. The people who are with you are too many for me to hand Midian over to them. Otherwise, Israel would boast, would become boastful saying, my own power has saved me. Now that's really intriguing to me. We tend to think we don't have enough resources to get God's will done. Here God's saying, Gideon has too much resources. That it's actually, that's why God's saying, I'm literally not going to do this. Because what's the point here? Like, God wasn't just looking to deliver Israel from their oppressors. God put them in that position because of their idolatry. If they weren't going to get free of the idolatry, there's no point to this. And I know that sounds bad, But if you look at this in a bigger context, everyone's going to hell, okay? And if the motivation to not go to hell is removed, you're all going to hell in this position. So they need to get delivered. They need a change of heart. Now, if Gideon got stuck here, there would have been i I don't know what would have happened if he got stuck at this point. So we go through a couple of little steps here. Step one, whoever is afraid can just go home Okay, well, there goes 22,000 people. They just go home. So now he's got 10,000 against innumerable. That sounds really bad. But wait, that's not it. There's more. Still too many people. God wants to see how do people drink. Sounds strange. So 300 men, they cupped water and drunk out of their hands, like lapping it up with their tongues. Everyone else kneeled down and drank right out of the stream, lake, whatever it was. I've heard several different takes on this. I had one take that, that um, if you're like this, you can see what's going on. If you've got your hand up to your mouth, if you've got your head in the water, you, you're not aware of what's going on around you. That's true. They couldn't drink as fast, but they were able to be on guard. Maybe that's it. Maybe it was just really crowded down there and they didn't want to be face-to-face with other people. Maybe that's it. Or maybe this is more civilized, to stand like this and drink, than to shove your head into the water. It doesn't really matter to me I think this had to do with just the small numbers so God was looking for a small number and there was 10,000 lives they were all willing to die for the cause okay so I say this for a reason not everyone is selected for everything they apply for okay it doesn't mean you weren't fit for service it's just sometimes that that service wasn't meant for you so don't don't take it the wrong way you're meant there's something else for you to do okay now, this gets even more interesting to me. In fact, I'm totally blown away by this here in Judges 7, verses 9 to 11. This really shocks me, actually. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura, I think that's how you say it, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Well, isn't that interesting? If you are afraid, well, God's not guessing. God knows exactly what's going on here. God knew that Gideon was going to hear something that would give him the rest of what he needed to get the job done. So verses 13 to 14, same chapter. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round round loaf of bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How did they know anything about Gideon? Like, back up a little bit here. He was just in a wine press threshing wheat. He was a nobody. There's, he's a, there's no biblical record that he was of any reputation before this story starts. Okay, so this is also a whole, a massive, innumerable innumerable horde. Who cares about one guy? And why did word spread? Well, I think it has to do with a bunch of small obediences, especially when we get down to he tore down the altar of Baal. Okay, so think about this from people who worship Baal and they believe this all their life. Gideon, Gideon took on God and lived. Okay, from their perspective, Baal is God. Gideon challenged God and lived. That's intimidating. So his, like his name literally means, let Baal contend with him. This would have messed with their heads a lot. After that, God clothed and equipped Gideon. Gideon blows his trumpet and all these troops gather. Well, they would have known that. And even though it's only 32,000, these 32,000 all gathered knowing there's an innumerable horde that's going to start to mess with your head. Now, the rest of the story is pretty well known. Quick paraphrase. Gideon separates the 300 men to three groups of 100. Each has a jar with a light in it and a trumpet. And they break the jars, they yell, they blow the trumpets. And then God breaks out. And he caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. That's pretty interesting. And Gideon then stuck... Like, there's always something for us to do Gideon and his men went in hot pursuit, and they just they went until they couldn't go anymore. And if you look at the whole story, it gets messy. There's a little bit of mistakes here and there, but it got done, and Israel had peace for 40 years until Gideon was no more. So again, how did Gideon get here? It was several small steps, relationship-building steps. He kept talking with God. God kept helping Gideon through fear, anger, and doubt, To the place of belief. That's our God. God wants you with Him in the obedience. He wants the relationship. Now, setting a whole nation free is a pretty fantastic thing, not something that very many people are called to do. But how do you know? Like, how do you know what step 23 is if you never take step one? And that's just it. You can trust God along the way. Maybe God is looking to do something significant through you. Do you think you don't have what it takes? Do you think you have trouble speaking in front of others? I think I have trouble, but here I am. Are you too short? Are you too weak? Are you too slow? Is your family history too bad? Sounds like you're qualified, actually, because these are the type of people God looks for. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 31. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. My last point here, point five, is Jesus is the way. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. God had me stop there. I am the way. I never really thought about it that that's a name. I am the way. It's very significant. We don't have to know the way, Jesus is the way. You don't need to know every step to take, you just need to know Jesus. Gideon did not know the correct way to worship, God directed him. And I thought, you know, what does this word way mean in the Greek in this context? Because sometimes that's interesting. Now, a lot of it just means what you think it does, just direction. It also means a course of conduct, a way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. So Jesus is the way of all of that. You're having trouble with your thinking like Gideon? He will help you through that. So I'll just sum up the whole thing here again. How do you know if God is leading you? Point one, following God's leading is about your ongoing relationship Trust and obedience with God. Two, it's your life. You are accountable for it. Three, it won't always be perfect. It can get messy, but stay the course. Point four, it's okay to question God if you're questioning from the correct heart. And then the final point, Jesus is the way. And that's what I have to share with you today. Give it back to you. Amen. Yeah, I'm just going to ask the worship team to come back up here. And um, I love a word like that because there is a teaching and there's also the opportunity to respond. And so I'm just going to invite uh, our prayer team and anyone who's on the prophetic team, if you want to be available to this morning, I feel like there's an opportunity to, to ask God maybe some questions or words that you've had in your life that have maybe still troubled you in a way and if you want to come to the altar and 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 have us pray or just have the lord speak to you about that i think there's a real opportunity if there's any other prayer this morning please we are available um, to minister so we're going to end that way you are